0: A United Express Embraer 145 is going from Newark to Presque Isle, and nothing seems to be going right. What caused this flight to crash not that far away from the runway? <laughs>
1: Welcome back to the Part Lannings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
0: I'm Miranda.
2: I'm Christy. We have Heather.
1: Hey! Heather's
2: back. Ayo. Heather's back. Half of us are post-nap. I am actually- I wish I was post-nap. Yeah,
1: I am not. That's, so why that's why I'm so tired. You figured out who the two aren't. <laughs> <laughs> so
3: It's been a torturous day though. <laughs> that's
1: fair. Me actually, this was the first day that I got to be at home. You might you might hear in my voice that my allergies have been. Destroying my upper and lower respiratory system because I have been running like 20 hours a day for the last mm, two weeks and it's finally catching up to me where it's like my body's like you have not given yourself enough time to recover so my allergies don't have any time to like settle yeah (laughs) I finally slept like a decent night of sleep last night still not as long as I would have liked but a decent night of sleep so I'm hoping tonight I can do that but I worked from home for the first time in like a month that was nice but I, I desperately needed it.
0: Yeah, it was just a long day today. I just did not want to go to work this morning. I get that. Didn't want to do any of the things. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to put up with children. Mm-hmm. And I had to do all the things and put up with children. It was awesome. Christy's uh, allergies are also bad. Yes. Because her nose is currently running. Yes. So she better go catch it. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You funny. <laughs> i middle schoolers all day. a <laughs> very strong <laughs> urge to throw the tissue <laughs> box at you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we do have new patrons, actually
1: Yes, we do
0: We do, hold on I
1: think we got a new annual patron
0: Uh, Or a $20 patron, I don't know There's was... a few people that came back Yes So, Megan T Yeah Which I'm sure that's not her actual last name Because it's no. like T-E-A <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah And Kate uh-huh. And then a new patron And her name is Sylvia
1: Yes, and that's the one that I think is an annual because it's a weird dollar amount.
0: Nope. No. It's not? Oh, yes, it is. Is
2: it? Yeah,
1: because the weird dollar amounts are always an annual one because it does weird well, things sometimes with taxes we, and it, reductions. I'm,
2: just, I'm staring at the screen.
0: I know. Well, usually it, it'll tell you on the thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, they are. Congrats, Sylvia. You joined on Nick's birthday.
1: Ah, yes.
0: So thank you so much. Thanks. Also, you should check out the newsletter. We're going to do the trivia question answers in this episode. Yes. And, yeah, I think that's it.
1: There's really not much more to talk about.
0: (laughs) So, what are we covering today, Nick?
1: Today, we are covering United Airlines Flight 4933, also Commute Air 4933. Interesting. It's a uh, uh, regional. It's a regional carrier.
0: Hmm. Uh,
2: We've
1: talked about regional carriers plenty.
2: Thank you to Mike for recommending this.
1: Thanks, Mike. There are still plenty of regional carriers, and as a matter of fact, Commute Air still operates, and as a matter of fact, they're one of the four operators here in Denver for United Express.
2: Interesting. By the way, thank you to the three people who managed to submit episodes all within 12 months of each other. So last episode happened in January of 2019. Mm -hmm. This episode happens in March of 2019. Yep. And next episode happens in November of
1: 2019.
2: Wow. Good job? Question mark?
1: All in the same year. And it was all different people that suggested them? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, yeah, this accident occurred in on March 4th of 2019, which was six months before we started the podcast.
0: Oh, God. That's weird.
1: Yeah. So the report wasn't out yet okay. when we started the podcast. Yeah. Fun things. This was an Embraer regional jet, ERJ-145XR. So it's their extra long range version of the E-145. And that means it's like, instead of being, I don't know, 1400 miles or whatever, it goes like 1500 miles. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: You don't want it to go much more than that because you don't want to sit on that airplane for, you know, more than an hour and a half if you don't is, have to.
2: Is it like when we joked about having to be on a, a Q400 for more than 15 minutes and then we ended up mm-hmm. on one for over an hour?
1: This airplane's smaller. It's a oh. two by one. Ew. It's a two-by-one, and it's even smaller inside. Mm -hmm.
0: To be fair, at least they fixed it when (laughs) we got on it the second time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one had the tail number November 14171. The ERJ-145 is one of the more common regional jets, although they're being phased out pretty rapidly through the industry. United still flies quite a few of them. American still has a handful. Delta decided to get rid of all of them a handful of years ago, though, and actually this airplane did fly for Delta Connection for a short period of time before going to United. And they are a 50-seat regional jet, so it competes directly with the CRJ-200 from Bombardier. And this one is in a 2-1 configuration, so it looks longer Mm. because it is technically longer Mm. instead of being 2-2 configuration like the CRJ. But it's smaller inside because of that. Ew. And some people love it, some people hate it. Brendan, it's one of his favorite airplanes. My boss... Says it's the worst airplane on the planet. So mixed reviews, <laughs> completely mixed reviews. From just to give you an idea of how people feel about this airplane.
0: Why does what Brent, is it? Sorry, an Embraer one forty five. An
1: Embraer ERJ one forty five. Yeah.
0: Why does I don't Brendan think I've been like it? One.
1: No, you have not. What?
0: Why does Brendan like
2: it? I
1: don't know. He just likes it.
0: Because he's a weirdo.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's an it's it's an interesting airplane. And I haven't been on one in and years. A
0: freaking nerd.
1: I haven't been on one in years. It's been a very long time, but. This airplane is kind of a typical two thousands nineties two thousands era regional jet in that it was a T tail with the two engines mounted at the rear in the tail section to the fuselage that is. So weird. Yeah, it's 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 pretty <laughs> common for a.
0: Oh my god, it's so ugly.
1: It's 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 yeah, so yeah. ugly. Yeah, it's an E one forty five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, I see it at Denver every day.
2: So if you saw one on Tinder you'd swipe left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's ugly. I
1: think it looks better than the CRJ 200, but it definitely doesn't look as good as the like CRJ 700 900 series. But now regional jets are all changing to the uh, like the E175s and the E190s where they got the wing mounted engines, they just they they make it like a full size airplane at at height enough for jet bridges that actually makes sense. And they're easier to handle. So, I don't know. They finally did some smart things with the regional jet market. But these airplanes still fly quite a bit. You'd be surprised.
3: Do they fly to smaller places? Yes, very. But I... Looking at the... Have I been in one?
1: To give you an idea of the small places they fly to, this was a flight from Newark, New Jersey, you know, United's big hub. Yeah. To Presque Isle, Maine. What? If you've never why heard of it... Hell? If you've never heard of it, that's why they fly there.
2: They don't have air traffic control <laughs> either.
1: Yeah, no, they don't. We'll talk about that.
3: Well, the reason I think I might have been in one is... Montana.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. United flies them up there.
3: From, like, here to Montana.
1: Yeah, United probably flies them up there. Though they fly the 175 a lot more now up there.
3: Yeah. Well, it depends on the airport, too.
1: Yes. Billing, Bozeman, and Missoula all get either 737s, 320s, or E-175s, I'll tell you right now.
3: If you fly into Butte, though, you're going to get a much smaller plane.
1: Yes, although i have seen the 175 on that route, too. But, yes, they do fly the 145 on that route, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I don't have names for the crew, but I do have everything else. The captain was a 40-year-old female.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Who had 5,655 hours total, of which 1,044 were on the E-145. That's pretty standard run-of-the-mill captain for a regional jet in the modern day. The first officer was a 51-year-old male who had 4,909 hours total, of which 470 were on the E-145. At Newark, 28 passengers joined the three crew. So it's obviously a, a light-ish load, a little over half full, but it's a 50-seat jet, so that, that's not many people. <laughs> not, not a very uh, popular destination in March, it turns out. It's more people that have to go there or live there. The flight departed Newark at 10.04 a.m. The captain was the pilot monitoring while the first officer was the pilot flying for this flight. The takeoff climb and cruise were normal. As the flight neared Presque Isle, the flight crew received weather information for the airport, which included snow and freezing fog, plus half-mile visibility. Amazing. So great.
0: That sounds so awesome. Doesn't it
1: sound like Maine in March?
0: Yeah.
2: Doesn't sound like it'll be a problem at all. Frozen
0: fog. I just love flying in frozen fog. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so much fun.
1: Yeah, it's so great. 11:01 a.m. and 42 seconds, the Boston Air Route Traffic Control Center cleared the flight for the ILS approach to runway 1 at Presque Isle and the captain acknowledged. 11:05 a.m. and 35 seconds, the air traffic controller terminated radar service for the flight and instructed them to contact the CTAF or the common traffic advisory frequency for Presque Isle. So, we haven't really talked about these too much, but this is actually We always talk about towers because we're generally talking about bigger, busier airports and even when we're not. This
2: ain't one of those.
1: Yeah, a lot of them still haven't. But this is not one of those. Uh, Actually, the vast majority of airports on the planet don't have towers and people don't realize that. But most airports do not have air traffic control towers. They don't have anybody monitoring those frequencies. When you go to one of these frequencies, these CTAF frequencies, all you're doing is announcing yourself to any other airplane or person listening.
2: Hey, I'm over here. Hey, I'm going to land. Hey, I hope no one's
3: on the runway.
1: Yep. That's pretty much it.
3: Yeah. Hey, I'm flying around, like, right, right next to your face. And then depending right. on where you're at, then most of the time you're even talking to yourself. Yeah, most yeah. of the time. It's just <laughs> yeah.
1: it's just you, yourself, and you. We have you several
3: know. of those small
0: airports here in Colorado.
1: Uh, we have, like, a hundred of them. <laughs>
0: one of them is for sale.
1: Yes, one of them is for yeah,
0: sale. Nick was like, we should buy it. I'm like, No. <laughs> We're not buying Platte Valley. Airport.
2: No, it's
1: a very popular, actually, airport for GA airplanes to fly in and out because it's got a really good grass runway to practice on.
2: I know, I've I've
0: been on it.
1: And it's near Denver, so it's a we're not buying
0: Platte Valley Airport.
1: Why not? You make a lot of money.
3: I, I, that's what I said. Do you, do you have the money do to you begin have with? Money? Yeah. Do you have <laughs> you
1: the... get a loan? <laughs> have you ever heard of real estate?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, know so if you'd I, be able to get a loan that big. I, I I
1: don't <laughs> know, but you know what? Why not try? <laughs> When there's like five or six people involved, you might as well try, right?
3: I mean, my credit, is so. <laughs> I mean,
1: but still, I don't know. Anyways, the captain acknowledged this call, and then they contacted the CTAF for Presque Isle and announced that they were two miles from the Foxtrot Echo Romeo Oster Golf, or Firog. 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 It's Firog. like Frog with an, A, with an E between <laughs> F and R.
0: <laughs> that's that's not right.
1: Firog. Or like furrog. Which is an approach waypoint. And announced that they were inbound for the ILS approach to runway one.
2: So it doesn't have air traffic control.
1: No.
0: But it does have ILS.
1: It does have an ILS. Yes. Yeah.
0: I mean an ILS is just a frequency, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's well, it's a series of things. It's a frequency, but it's also a transmitted basically glide slope. It's kind of a, it's a it's a complicated device.
2: It needs an array. Yes. Exactly.
1: It. it has to have a series of antennas to do this. 11.05 a.m. and 59 seconds, a maintenance staff member at the airport, so literally maintenance for the airport, contacted the flight, and the captain responded to inform them that the flight was four minutes out from the airport. The reason that they were doing this was because the maintenance staff are responsible for doing the snow clearing of the runway. Uh. So they were informing them, hey, we're on our way in. You need to do you need to move. stuff, yeah. Yeah, you gotta move. Make sure you're off the runway so we can actually mm, land. 11.06 a.m. and 14 seconds, the first officer discussed with the captain, stating, quote, he said he was out of the way now, end quote, indicating that the snow removal vehicles were clear of the runway. 11.06 a.m. and 58 seconds, the aircraft began the final approach, so they were on the glide slope. 11.07 a.m. and 50 seconds, the captain announced on the CTAF that the flight was near the final approach fix, so the basically the inner marker. Getting close to the airport now. 11.08 a.m. in 38 seconds, the captain made the 1,000-foot call-out, and the approach was stable, and there was ground contact, so they they, they could see the ground beneath them. 11.09 a.m. in 3 seconds, the captain asked the first officer if they wanted the airport lights to be turned on. The first officer replied, quote, yeah, turn them on, end quote. And the <laughs> captain used the radio button to turn them on. This is actually... Interesting little thing we've talked about, I think, once or twice before.
3: Uh-huh.
1: But at little airports like this, you literally use the radio button, and it depends on how many times you push it. It'll turn the uh, lights on, and it'll turn them up and down.
3: I did actually know that.
1: Yes. There's um, several airports that are that way, including the Front Range or the Space Colorado
3: Air and, and Space Port. Yes,
1: or just <laughs> colloquially, Spaceport.
0: Front Range. Front
2: Range. Front Range, What used yes. to be Front
1: Range. yes. Uh, which is very close to Denver International Airport. Look it up on a map; you'll be shocked how close this airport is to a the third busiest airport on the planet. So you know that's, uh, but this is used at a lot of different airports. I mean, around the world. I mean, thousands of them. The captain then made the 500, 400, and 300 foot callouts. These are the callouts above the runway, ground. above the runway, or above the ground, but above the runway altitude specifically. Is it so, above
2: runway altitude, or is it, it using is. the radio altimeter? It
1: technically uses the radio altimeter, but it's supposed to be above the runway altitude. Yeah, okay. It depends on the aircraft and the procedures. I'll put it that way. The first officer then stated, quote, autopilot's coming off, end quote, and the captain acknowledged. 11.09 a.m. and 40 seconds, the captain made the 200-foot call out, followed immediately by... Approaching minimums and minimums from the Enhanced Ground Proximity Warning System. So that's telling you you're approaching your decision decision altitude, altitude, which is where you decide whether or not you're going on a missed approach, going around, because you don't have good visibility, you're not stable in the approach. There's a myriad of reasons, but basically that's the decision where you decide, continue or not, is at minimums. 11.09 a.m. and 54 seconds, the captain stated, quote, runway in sight. See it, end quote. (laughs) First officer responded... Okay,
0: isn't that not supposed to be a question?
1: Yeah. First officer responded, quote, Yeah, well, I got something that looks like a runway up there. What? Quote. Five seconds later, <laughs> the captain called out 100. Okay. Three and a half seconds later, the captain noted, Watch your speed, to the first officer.
0: Captain's a she, by the way.
1: Yes, you're correct. This was followed immediately by the sound of the stick shaker, which means, you know, trouble. 11.10 a.m. in nine seconds, the captain stated... Go missed twice. So, go missed, go missed. The first officer stated, "Yeah, we're going missed." "Quote unquote."
0: So, missed approach. Yep. Yeah, so they're going, going around.
1: around. Yep. It means going missed approach, yes. Because the procedure is called the missed approach procedure. Right. And every airport has one for every approach. When you go missed, there's it tells you what to do next. You go to usually you climb to a certain altitude, go to a certain waypoint and circle in a certain direction. That's basically how a missed approach works. Until you get further instructions, but at airports like this, it's going to tell you basically how to go up to a point, reset, you contact Boston ARTCC again, which they do, we'll talk about it, and then they reset you up for another approach. The aircraft had reached 169 feet above ground level at its lowest point when the go-around was initiated and they began ascending again. 11.10 a.m. in 33 seconds, the captain stated over the CTAF that they were going missed and repeated this at 11.10 a.m. in 56 seconds, so about 23 seconds later. 11.11 a.m. in five seconds, the captain notified the Boston Air Route Traffic Control Center that the flight went missed approach and, quote, we're going to give it another try, end quote. Air traffic controller acknowledged and instructed the flight to climb to and maintain 3,200 feet.
3: Wait, I thought they didn't have ATC.
1: They don't, but they recontacted the Air Route Traffic Control Center from Boston, so which is the center controller above the airspace for the airport.
2: It's a big area control. Very massive. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Actually, it's all of New England. So
2: Denver has one. It's massive. It's huge. It
1: is. The bigger one than that is Salt Lake. Salt Lake Center is bigger. Weird. I think it's the only one bigger than Denver. <laughs> In the lower 48, anyway. 11.13 a.m. and 28 seconds, the captain contacted the Presque Isle Maintenance again to inform them of the missed approach and that they would call back again, quote, for another try, end quote. 11.13 a.m. and 50 seconds, the crew discussed the missed approach for 18 seconds, so discussed what happened
0: see, what had happened was. What had
1: happened was, which we'll talk about that later on. 11.15 a.m. and 20 seconds, the air traffic controller provided the flight with vectors to reset up for the ILS approach to runway one again, and the captain acknowledged. 11.16 a.m. and 20 seconds, the captain contacted the Presque Isle maintenance to inform them of the second approach. The maintenance staff stated, quote, We'll be all clear, runway one, end quote, stating just that they'll be out of the way. The captain then asked them, quote, can you make sure those lights are on for us? End quote. And maintenance stated the maintenance staff, who was actually the maintenance foreman at the airport, stated, quote, yes we will, end quote. Maintenance then went over and turned the runway lights on to high, the high intensity so, too Bright. Yes, right. Although Doesn't it states it sound high like intensity. A
3: good idea with the snow and fog and
1: I don't know. The hope is that it would, you know, illuminate the runway enough to be find like, a-
3: hey. I'm right here. This is a runway. Yeah.
0: Which is what they're for. Yes. (laughs) It's to show planes that that's a runway.
1: Yep. 11.16 a.m. and 46 seconds, the first officer asked the captain if they ever saw the lights on the first attempt. The captain stated that she had seen the lights, but, quote, it's really white down there. That's the problem, end quote.
0: Well, then you didn't see the lights. Right. You either did or you didn't. <laughs> right. It's oh, it's really white down there. Then yeah. you didn't see the lights. You right. saw those. Just snow. say yes or yeah. no. Right. Yeah.
1: Yep. The first officer agreed and stated, "quote Everything is washed out." End quote.
0: So
3: you didn't see the <laughs> yeah. lights. Yeah. They went around. They went around. Yes. You can still see around. lights whether it's washed out or not. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's they went like around.
3: Being blind and still having light perception.
1: Yeah. Yep. The captain then stated, "quote." If we don't see it, we'll just go to Vermont, end quote. So that means Sounds that like a plan. they were going to go to their alternative, which yeah. is Burlington in Burlington, Vermont. So,
2: By the way, speaking of lights, in case anyone was interested from last episode, last episode, episode before, I did find the PowerPoint of my light pollution Spanish presentation. So if anyone wants nice. that, email us.
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs> the first officer replied, you got it. Acknowledging the diversion idea. 11.18 a.m. and 36 seconds, the first officer stated, quote, So this time I'll stay on the flight director until things start screaming minimums. Then I'll look up. If there's nothing there, then we'll go. If there is something there, we'll land, end quote. And the captain replied, yep, sounds good. Who's so,
0: flying? The first The officer. first
1: officer. The first officer is the pilot flying. So what that means... Is the first officer is clearly stating that they're going to keep their eyes on the flight director on the instruments, not look outside, until the airplane states minimums, and then the the first officer intends to look out the window to if he see can, the runway.
2: If he can see the runway, great. If not, go by
1: Right. Then they're going, and the captain replied, "Sounds good." Oy. First officer then stated that he would specifically look for the runway lights. 11.19 a.m., the crew discussed the previous approach and then the second approach attempt, so going over their approach, reefing basically again. The captain repeated, quote, it's really white down there, end quote.
3: Oh my god, yeah, it's called yeah. snow.
1: Yeah, it's snow.
0: It, 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 that's what it happens that. in yeah. New England yeah. Yeah. in the well, spring.
1: There's snow on the ground, it's snowing, and there's white clouds over it. It's basically all just white. Yeah. The captain then instructed the first officer to, quote, stay inside and I'll let you know when you can look up, end quote. So that means stay looking at your instruments until I tell you to look up.
0: It's just my brain went. Stay in the plane. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm gonna go outside and check.
1: That's I why. Be right back. That's why I clarified because it's. It, it always sounds strange, but actually, this is a pretty common way that like, pi- crews and pilots refer to looking at your instruments as staying inside or look inside you're staying inside the you know looking at the instruments instead of looking outside the airplane through the all windows.
2: i can picture is them like popping
0: open the <laughs> cockpit window and hanging their head out like a dog yeah yeah you stay inside and i'm gonna go check yeah and i'll be right back please don't do that <laughs>
3: I don't cold. think you can. <laughs> I mean, I mean, depen- someone. I guess it depends on how high. I was gonna you say but... someone survived outside of their cockpit for yeah. how
1: long? Yeah, In a couple of times actually. This has happened twice.
3: <laughs> I'm thinking specifically of the. <laughs> uh
2: huh. Yeah, the British. Uh, yeah. BA flight was that flight nine? I think so. Or was flight nine uh-huh. the volcano? I don't, I don't
1: remember. remember. The volcano. Oh. That would make sense if it was the volcano.
2: There were two. It was e- not the volcano I'm thinking of. Right. right. There were no. two episodes that Leo was on that were both British Airways that were both weird. Yes. One was the guy getting ejected. The other was the
3: volcano. Yeah. The one I'm thinking of was not the volcano.
1: Yeah, it was the so guy Apparently I haven't yeah. heard
3: of the volcano one, and I really mm. want to know about it. That's an interesting <laughs> <So>. one. Definitely
1: <laughs> worth the listen, to be honest. That's a good one. No, and I got to see a BAC-111 in Kansas City. They have one. Wow. Out on the ramp. Anyway. Anyway. They went over the missed approach procedure in case the captain commanded it again. So they just went over the same missed approach mm-hmm. procedure again one more time. Doing their due diligence. a.m. and 46 seconds, the captain contacted the Presque Isle maintenance again and stated that the flight was 16 miles and 7 minutes out. The maintenance staff stated, quote, will be clear runway 1 and the lights are on bright, end quote. 11.23 a.m. and 41 seconds, the air traffic controller told the flight that they were about 8 miles south of the outer marker for the ILS approach to runway 1 and cleared them for the approach. The air traffic controller also requested that the flight report being established on the the approach. The captain acknowledged. 11.25 a.m. in three seconds, the captain noted, quote, Localizer's coming in alive. So, getting the localizer frequency, and it's showing up on the instruments. The first officer replied, quote, Localizer's alive, so is the glide slope, end quote. Which means now they have the approach. They have the instrument approach on their instruments. The captain then informed the air traffic controller that they were established on the approach. The air traffic controller instructed the flight to change back to the CTAF, and the captain acknowledged, the captain then contacted the CTAF and reported being inbound for Runway 1. 11.26 a.m. and 51 seconds, the flight began its final descent again for the second time. Simultaneously, the captain announced over the radio that the flight was four miles out from Runway 1. 11.27 a.m. and 21 seconds, the captain then made the 1,000-foot callout and stated that the approach was stable. The captain then made the 500-foot call-out. 11:27 a.m. and 57 seconds. The first officer stated, "Quote 500, cleared to land. I'm inside. You're outside." End quote. Stating back that one of them's looking at the instruments, one's looking outside. The captain then made the 400-foot callout and instructed the first officer to keep the autopilot on until 200 above ground level. The first officer acknowledged. The captain then made the 300-foot call out, 11:28 a.m. and 22 seconds. The captain stated, "Quote There's 200. Get the autopilot off." End quote. Six seconds later, the first officer stated, "Off." and had turned off the autopilot. 11.28 a.m. and 30 seconds, the enhanced ground proximity warning system stated approaching minimums. The captain then made the 100-foot call-out, and seven seconds after the first EGPWS call-out, the EGPWS stated minimums. Two seconds later, the captain stated, quote, runway in sight, 12 o'clock, end quote. Everything seems super normal up to this point. I don't have many bullet points left, so you know that things just go wrong from here.
3: Oh, boy. I was going to say, I'm not sure. I mean, it sounds normal, but also, like, some of their stuff just doesn't make sense. It always
0: sounds normal until it's not normal.
1: Right. 11.28 a.m. and 42 seconds. The first officer stated, quote, I'm staying on the flight director because I don't see it yet. Now, mind you, they're below 200 where he had agreed to, below minimums, Mm, where he had agreed to look out the window. But he doesn't see the runway. The captain followed with, stay in, stay in, stay in, several times. Yes, the look on your face is warranted.
0: But they hit minimums. Right. If they can't see the runway, they're supposed to go somewhere else.
1: Which is a little strange because the captain had stated that she saw the runway, right? Really?
0: But the person flying the airplane
1: doesn't is see not the, runway. the
0: runway. Which is kind of like the thing, right? Because. Mm-hmm. A little more important. He's the one that's landing the plane? Yep. I don't know. I feel like that's a little important.
1: Here comes the fun part. I actually get an expletive in this story. And uh, thank you, Paige, for doing your work. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we edit this one. I don't know. 11.28 a.m. and 53 seconds, the captain stated, what the f***? What the <laughs> f***? And the first officer stated, I don't know what I'm seeing.
0: Uh, also, what the f***?
1: Not a good sign.
2: And it's not, I don't know what I'm seeing. It's, I don't know what I'm seeing. seeing.
1: Yeah. Three seconds later, the aircraft's landing gear touched the ground, settled in hard at 3.35 G's. The aircraft quickly slowed down as it dragged through the snow and then suddenly struck an embankment, crushing the nose and removing the nose landing gear and, most importantly, the left main landing gear. Which, which
2: ended up in the left engine.
1: Not Ugh. in, lodged between the left engine and the fuselage, oh. which oh. is not a big space. It basically was in the front of the engine, but it was mostly lodged between. Oh,
2: The picture definitely makes it look like it's just a hole
1: it, it pretty much is. It pretty much is. It tore a hole in the side of the fuselage.
0: Awesome.
1: Yep. As the airplane came to a stop, the captain asked the first officer to perform the uh, engine shutdown checklist, and he did so. The cabin crew member, the single cabin crew member...
3: thing.
1: Yep. Tried to reach the flight crew via the phone system, but was unsuccessful.
0: Yeah, because it's broken, probably.
1: Yep. Yep. The evacuation was initiated, but mind you, the nose gear was broken. Yeah. So this airplane has a fold-out set of stairs on the front door. Okay, And because the airplane's basically sitting on the ground, that door can't fold all the way out to go down those stairs, so instead it's sitting, like, kind of upright, so they can't get out that Aww. front door. And because it's also sitting nose forward, the overwing exits are pretty high compared to normal. It's not that high off the ground. It's not a big airplane. But it took a moment, but it, Airport Rescue managed to get on site shortly thereafter, and a ladder was needed. Several ladders actually were needed and provided by the, the firefighters to get the passengers off of the airplane. They evacuated. In all, three were injured, including one of the crew in the evacuation, but all on board survived, and all the injuries were minor.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: I mean, we know that it wasn't deadly because we still hold the records that we do in the modern day. We know there wasn't anything in the U.S. in 2019 that killed anybody in commercial aviation, so there you go.
0: They're really lucky, though. Yeah. Because that could have easily turned deadly. Yeah. Yes. With a giant hole in the fuselage?
1: Yeah. I mean, in the nose. There's a picture here.
0: Also, um, what Nick didn't point out, they didn't
2: land on the runway.
1: No, I specifically didn't say that because I was hoping that it would be a question and that we will just talk about it.
2: I was going to ask where the heck they were. They're between the runway and the taxiway.
1: Here, let me brighten this up a bit so you can see that better. So there's a big giant hole in the nose of the airplane. Yeah. And then there's a landing gear lodged... <laughs>
3: Perfect, actually. Between the
1: fuselage and the the engine, there's a better picture of this landing gear. Hold (laughs) on, on, I'll pull it up. It's in here too. There we go. Oh,
0: someone up.
1: There you go.
0: Multiple people, actually. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Oh, that could have been. Oh man. Much worse. That was barely less worse.
1: Yeah, I mean. That could have definitely hurt somebody. I, I
3: don't understand
0: how it perfectly lodged itself there. That was... That's impressive. Yeah.
1: I mean, it pretty much did a straight shot. I mean, you can see the exact trajectory it took through that scrape. Yeah. Coming up from under the wing right to lodge between the fuselage and the engine.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely could have been. You
0: should definitely go worse. look on the website at the pictures, because that yeah. freaking. Yeah,
1: crazy. I do remember when this happened, and I remember when the the pictures were floating around the internet, and I was like, Ooh. "Ow!" I mean, it could definitely could have been worse. Definitely could have been worse.
3: Did that mean be- it didn't go into the engine?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could have definitely made the situation much worse. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't good for the engine, anyways. I'm sure it shattered some of the fan blades because it kind of crushed the forward part of the engine cowling.
2: Do they have any pictures of where in reference to the runway they landed?
1: No, I don't think they do. I didn't see any good pictures for any of that. There were some details I left out from the story from the first approach. Do you have them? Can you talk about it?
2: I don't know what details you're...
1: We'll discuss it. We'll discuss it. That's fine. But there were some key details that I left out that would have been really big red flags.
0: (laughs) You don't say.
2: Miranda doesn't have any questions that I expected her to by this point. So uh, we're actually going to take our break here and continue the analysis in the second half. Yes, we
1: are.
3: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
1: The NTSB (laughs) It's okay
2: Yes, the NTSB Yes Although it was not specifically
0: mentioned I'm assuming both black boxes were recovered
1: Yes, you I mean, can pretty much take that from my the story. The
0: airplane <laughs> inside in the back of it was not uh, completely damaged.
1: Yes, so. and I you don't... might note all of the data points I had, i.e., quotes from the cockpit <laughs> That's what I was say. and altitudes and all that. Like yeah, I fun.
0: don't specifically
2: reference the FDR, and they don't have a specific section for it because this is an abbreviated report. It's
1: okay, in the story, they do specifically state the FDR's last point. Okay, it's the last data point, so Solid. I know they had it.
2: But the CVR, in particular, proved to be crucial to the investigation. The first approach to Runway 1 was normal. Was until, it? It, until it wasn't. Right. Uh, until the first officer switched from using his instruments to using visuals to guide to the runway. When interviewed, he reported that he saw white on white and no runway. I'm actually pretty sure that's a lyric in the song, You Can
0: Always Go Around.
1: Mm-hmm. Is that
3: this that's seriously a song? Yes. You don't
0: know? Oh, we're going to have to listen to it in the post episode.
1: Yep. We'll have to pull it up in the post episode. Oh, my
3: God. Uh...
0: He did see <laughs> an antenna, but no actual runway.
2: That's
1: what I was talking about in the oh, first part. I do talk about Not that. Not only did they see the antenna, the yeah. first officer noted how incredibly close this antenna happened to be to them for just a moment.
2: Let me keep going. Okay. The captain reported seeing a tower and called for a go around. Investigators determined that they had likely seen the automated weather observing system that was 325 feet to the right of the runway, and they damaged the lightning arrestor on top of the wind sensor pole on their first approach. They hit it. On the first approach? Yes.
1: They touched it.
0: How did they not notice
1: that? It's 325 feet to the right of the runway. I
0: was going to say, how did they get so off? No wonder they couldn't see the damn runway. They weren't near the runway.
1: We're going to talk about that.
0: (laughs) It's just white, yeah, because that's not the runway, for <laughs> fact.
1: That would be nothing. <laughs>
0: that would be not a runway. The CBR recorded the captain saying that
2: she saw the lights, but that, quote, it's really white down there. That's the problem. You and, did well, not see the
0: damn lights. Yeah. There is no way. If you're 300 and some odd feet to the right, there's no goddamn way you saw the lights. You are lying through your teeth.
1: If she did see the lights, Dang. she might have seen the right side edge lights maybe on the left side of the airplane and thought that's the left side of the runway. But it wasn't.
0: But it wasn't. It was not.
2: It was also
1: too far away to be that.
2: During the first approach, the crew discussed turning on the runway lights using the radio button.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But the maintenance foreman for the airport said that the runway lights were not on on. for the first approach. Mm -hmm. So investigators couldn't tell if they had actually been turned on for the first approach.
0: Hmm. Okay.
2: It's a he said, she said. The captain determined that they were off course for the first approach and instructed the first officer to keep to the instruments during the second approach until decision altitude of 200 feet above ground. They had problems capturing the localizer and glide slope, and the captain asked the airport to turn the runway lights on, and the foreman reported that they were on the highest setting. At decision altitude, the captain instructed the first officer to disconnect the autopilot, and he did, and she reported runway insight 12 o'clock. The first officer responded that he would stay on the flight director because he didn't see the runway yet. At 100 feet above ground, the CBR recorded the captain saying, What the f***? And the first officer saying, I don't know what I'm seeing. Simultaneously. But
0: neither called for a go-around. Also kind of confusing is if she saw the runway and he didn't, why didn't she just go, okay, I'll just land the airplane? Um, She didn't see the runway. She was lying.
1: Mm-hmm. She saw what she thought was the runway.
0: Again. In post-accident
2: interviews, the first officer reported he saw white on white again and blowing snow. The maintenance foreman said that the runway at the time had about an eighth of an inch of snow on it and 20-25% to 25% of the runway was visible. That's not a lot.
1: It's not. And it's actively snowing and low visibility, so, I mean, it's it's not much to see there.
0: So did the crew know what they were doing? No. No. I Okay, here's my question,
2: mm-hmm. which
0: maybe you were like, maybe you should ask about this, but I don't know. They're on an ILS.
1: Okay. Thank you yeah. for asking can you, the question. Can
0: you stick a pin <laughs> in that for about uh, a... <laughs> Three paragraphs.
2: I'm Thank just,
1: you for getting around to that. Yeah,
0: I was like, they're on an ILS. It should just glide them down to the runway. You're
1: definitely onto something. I don't Let me put it that way. why they're you're, not. You are onto something.
0: That's the question
2: I you're, thought you would have.
1: You might have noticed a trend. We'll get to it.
0: I, okay. stick a pin in it. Okay, because I'm just I'm confused. So
1: if they were so the, far
0: off, how could they have the
2: glide slope? At
1: this point, so are the investigators.
2: Okay, stick a pin in it. We'll we'll, we'll circle back. Okay, like they did. Yep. Except we'll actually land. Yep. <laughs>
0: That's so bad.
2: The first officer was fairly new to the E-145, just having gotten his rating seven and a half months prior, and thus may have trusted the captain's word when she said runway in sight. During the approach, she said stay in multiple times, which she reported as meaning to focus on the flight director and not outside. Policy stated that the pilot flying should monitor the instruments until the pilot monitoring reported runway in sight and then use outside references... No later than 100 feet above ground.
0: Well, and she said she saw the runway. Yep. And then she was like, oh, no, you, you stay, no, you don't do you don't do your job.
2: Which just-
1: shows to me that she wasn't confident in what she was looking at.
2: Policy also stated that if the runway is not inside by decision altitude, a go-around should be called. Uh, yep.
0: Which they did before, and I don't understand why they didn't do it again. When the first officer looked
2: out and didn't see the runway at decision altitude... They should have gone around. That was Or what they, they had should a- have gone to Vermont.
1: That was the agreement that they didn't follow.
2: Conversely, what about the captain? She reported that during the second approach, she saw the tower again. Investigators deemed that that should have warranted a go around since a proper approach wouldn't have had them so close to the 30-foot tower.
1: Mm-mm.
0: And also, they already did the thing where it's like, I saw the tower, This no good, we do go-around. Uh-huh. Like I don't understand why it's like, oh, I see tower again, apparently it's okay to land.
2: Yeah. So why did neither of them call for a go-around? We come back to the phenomenon known as confirmation bias, yeah. where you have a tendency to seek information that supports your belief and ignore information to the contrary. In this case, the glide slope indicated they were aligned and the captain said she had the runway in sight, leading the first officer to continue. The captain was ultimately responsible for the flight, and she demonstrated poor judgment and decision-making when she instructed the first officer to keep to the flight director below decision altitude, leaving him insufficient time to judge when he did transfer to visual references. Which is a
1: break of CRM, by the way.
2: Yep. Investigators delved into the captain's training record and found that when she was a DHC-8 first officer, she had a disciplinary letter and agreed to not pursue captain upgrade training and to be monitored for nine months. In September 2017, the FAA disapproved her for the E-145 type rating and placed her under increased scrutiny due to training failures, including a failed proficiency check. She received her type rating the following month and was upgraded to captain afterwards. Investigators determined that Commute Air did not effectively address her repeated training problems. Love that.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm, Yeah.
2: The last factor that was addressed as affecting crew performance was... Fatigue!
1: Fatigue.
0: Oh, Oh,
2: no. The first officer stated that he felt rested that day, but he had been home with the flu for several days before the accident and had not used his prescribed CPAP machine in the week leading up to the accident, so he likely was not getting adequate sleep.
0: Of course. Why not?
2: Because he was coughing. Apparently, using a CPAP and coughing is is no bueno. I don't don't know.
3: It's because it forces you to take a breath in, so Mm -hmm. if you're coughing and, like... You, I'm assuming no, none of you guys have ever put a CPAP machine no. on. No, <laughs> no, it
1: forces you to have to have breathe. You? Though I know. Yes,
3: I have. Um, when I was an EMT, when I was training to be an EMT, and we were learning how to use them, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to put one on, and I ripped that thing off my face as fast as I put it on my face because it made me panic, because it forces you to breathe in. Yeah, yeah pushes it pushes your lungs. If you don't know what what a CPAP does, it helps with sleep for,
0: apnea. Yeah, sleep apnea, mm-hmm. where you just stop breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay used to do that because, mm-hmm. like, it, it it has to do with like the position of your head. It has to do with a lot of things. I mean, stuff.
2: By yeah. the way,
1: anytime you jolt awake because you think you had a nightmare, that was your body actually saying, "Hey, you stop breathing for a second. You need to breathe."
2: So when Jay was an infant slash toddler, he had sleep apnea and would cough to make himself breathe again. He so he naturally regulated his sleep apnea until he grew out of it
3: yeah so i mean sleep apnea can be caused by many things but CPAP it helps you it makes you breathe in so mm-hmm. that if you stop breathing it, well you breathe in the, the report
2: <laughs> yeah. the report had the thing that CPap stands for please hold um i used to know i figured you used to know a continuous positive airway pressure
3: machine thank you mm-hmm. there you go
1: putting pressure on your airway Forcing you to breathe.
3: So weird because you breathe out and then you don't have to breathe in because it does it for you. And I don't like, like that. No, it's terrible. It's terrifying. It's,
1: ter- but people, it's terrible. But people with
3: sleep apnea, they're like, "This is the best shit ever," because you can sleep and you can breathe and like, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> unless,
2: unless you're a first officer with the flu, and then right. I can understand why you might not want to use it. But it's also forcing
1: your lungs to have to work and work hard, so then it makes you cough. Because you've got stuff in there.
2: But also, what's one of the checklists when you're getting ready to fly?
1: Illness. It was the first one of I'm safe.
2: But he didn't say he felt sick.
1: He was no, coming down but, from illness.
2: But he didn't have adequate sleep because no. of his very recent illness. Whether right. he
3: felt like it or not. If you feel like you had good sleep, but you have sleep apnea, you didn't. Like,
1: straight mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm.
2: Now for a question that Miranda has had at this point, despite yeah. my script. The IOS. <laughs> How were they not directly led to the runway by the localizer?
0: Yeah, that's like the whole point of the localizer.
2: A post-accident testing of the ILS localizer and glide slope revealed that the localizer was out of tolerance by 200 feet to the right. Does that make sense now?
1: Why? And that should have been a red flag the first time. Until
2: it was out of tolerance until the two to five feet of snow surrounding it was removed.
1: So when there's snow...
2: It's heavily affected. It screws up the signal.
1: Um, Here's the best How part about that. How
2: did no that. one know that?
1: Uh, was known, actually.
2: Let, let, me, let me keep continue, going.
1: Continue, continue. You're going to get mad.
2: 36 hours before the accident, a different commute air flight crew noted the localizer misalignment and reported it to a controller at the Boston Air Route Traffic Control Center, who reported it to the FAA technical operations, including the center's operations manager in charge, who then informed the center's National Airspace System Operations Manager. FAA procedure states that air traffic control should request a report from a second aircraft. Having not received a second report, because a second aircraft had not flown in, the National Airspace System Operations Manager did not act on the initial report. The accident flight was the first IFR flight into Presque Isle Isle after the initial report of misalignment. The next bit is a quote because there was no way I could condense it. It's just written well. Anyway, quote, FAA procedures for air traffic control personnel also stated that in the absence of a second aircraft report, activate the standby equipment or request the monitor facility to activate. However, Presque Isle did not have an air traffic control tower and air route traffic control centers, including Boston Center, do not have the capability to activate standby equipment. Airport personnel stated that they had no means to determine the alignment of the localizer signal and had to depend on pilot reports. However, the March 2, 2019 pilot report about the localizer misalignment was not provided to airport personnel.
1: Why? So the airport couldn't fix it.
2: In addition, although FAA winter operations guidance contained specific criteria for the allowable snow depth around a glide slope antenna, the guidance did not specify similar information for the area around a localizer antenna array. After the accident, the FAA revised its winter operations guidance to state that snow around a localizer array could affect its radiated signal, and that a snow accumulation of two feet was the point at which an FAA ILS specialist would need to begin observing the condition of the localizer signal. End quote.
3: And how much snow was there?
2: Two to five feet. I'm not done.
1: Okay. I'm hoping you get to this.
2: Investigators came to find out.
1: Here's the part that'll make you mad.
2: That six pilots from Commute Air, who flew into Presque Island the five days prior to the accident, had issues with a localizer. Including the first officer. But none of them made a report about it. Why not, sir? Agreed. And the Commute Air Managing Director of Safety had no idea why not.
1: Do you state the worst part?
2: Four of the pilots submitted reports after the accident.
1: Do you state the worst part? Nope. I will read this right from the story. As part of the pre-departure briefing for the accident flight, the first officer mentioned that during the previous flight, the instrument landing system localizer for runway one was offset when the airplane was aligned with the runway during a visual approach. During a post-accident interview, the first officer, who was the pilot monitoring for that flight, the one where they had done the—they mis- the, had found out about the ILS, not the accident flight, stated that both he and the captain of that flight noticed an, quote, incongruency, end quote, between the pink needle and the green needle, which are the glide slope left and right and up and down, the vertical and the horizontal.
3: The and
2: first didn't officer, say
1: the first officer didn't even just know. He put it in the the briefing for the flight, the pre-departure briefing for the accident and flight. You think it about. Even- and then when they were doing the ILS, didn't notice twice.
0: <sighs> like like, oh yeah, that seems a little weird.
1: Oh yeah, I remember oh wait, this from like a remember- couple days ago. Oh
0: wait, I'm too tired, yeah. so of course I don't f- remember. Yeah. <laughs> So the probable cause,
2: because there's no findings, there's no recommendations. No, this is where we are. The National Transportation Safety Board determines the probable cause or causes of this accident to be the flight crew's decision due to confirmation bias to continue the descent below the decision altitude when the runway had not been positively identified. Contributing to the accident were one, the first officer's fatigue, which exacerbated his confirmation bias and two, the failure of commute air pilots who had observed the localizer misalignment to report it to the company and air traffic before the accident. Yeah.
1: Yep. Short,
2: sweet, to the point.
1: Things that they fixed were the ILS. The
2: uh, um, ILS procedures.
1: Yes, the ILS procedures.
2: The ILS worked just fine.
1: Except that it didn't because it kept, it kept leaning to the right, so they figured out. Because that, of snow. Right, so what I mean by that is they fixed their procedures for the ILS. When it snows, they know what they have to clear and how much in order for it to work properly. I believe it was also noted on the charts, but I don't remember. And then Commute Air, of course, their CRM got a lot of scrutiny when it came to instances like this.
0: Huh, I wonder why.
1: Commute Air also changed their bases because COVID happened. And I don't know, but I think they still work out of Newark. But actually, Denver didn't exist for Commute Air in 2019. We didn't have E-145s. The airline that did operate them went away right around COVID time, from Denver. And then Commuter snuck back in in 2021 and said, we're going to start operating them again in Denver. And they did. So Commuter moved a lot of their operations to um, here and a lot less snowier places. <laughs> but they still do operations out of Newark, I believe. So, But they changed their CRM procedures. They made sure that training was a little bit better. And there's higher scrutiny on training records and uh, pilot records, of course. It's always a hot topic these days. I
0: freaking hope so. Okay. That is all. That is all. That was United Airlines or commuter air flight. I don't remember. 4933. 4933. There you go. All right. We got got a listener question and then we got some trivia question. I have the listener question pulled up and it's going to, it's a pertinent topic. And then I have the trivia question. So let's do the trivia questions first. Okay. 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 First one is, when did Nick start working at DIA? And that was January of 2022. Yep. Did anyone get that right? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) There were a few people that were like, it couldn't be 2022. It had to be 2023. I'm like, nope.
1: Nope. It was January, January 2022. And I have come very far in a year and a half. Very far. I'll put it that way.
2: What season of air disasters did Miranda first binge?
0: It was season 10. It was. There were there was at least one person that got that right.
1: The big hint to that is find Tenerife and look it up. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's how, that's, that's where it all the, started.
0: Actually, Tenerife was the first episode I watched. Yeah. Because that's the one Christy showed me. Yep. And then I binged everything else.
1: Uh, yep. Because
0: I'm me. What airline do Christy and Miranda hate flying? <laughs> Southwest. Southwest Airlines. I f- hate Southwest. West airlines
1: see you're in the minority because most people. i know don't. i know there are a lot of people that hate them but there's there's also more that don't
0: i hate their boarding process
2: i think it's stupid the I number
1: don't. one thing i hear from local people i love southwest i always fly southwest and it's <laughs> true it's true Brendan when you see
0: loves
2: yeah southwest. i know
1: when you see their signs up in in at, at the airport here in denver that say uh denver's most flown airline that's actually not a lie United is really good at connectivity here, which is why most people in Denver don't actually necessarily fly United. A lot do, but but it's more connecting traffic. But Southwest has a lot of local traffic.
2: I get, when I'm listening to my podcasts, I get specified, targeted, to Coloradans Southwest Airlines ads. <laughs> I get them for United. I hate them.
1: I get them for United on Facebook and on everything. TikTok, I get them on everywhere.
0: Hate it. I was like, listen, Linda, I don't like flying your airline. (laughs) I also don't like American either.
1: I have qualms with them. I have issues. I mean, it depends because they saved our trip last year and they did a decent job. The passengers on our flight to JFK sucked. And I can't do anything about that.
3: I'm the level of poor that I don't care as long as I get to my destination. And I mean, that's fair.
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: we're pretty close to that,
1: that's, too. Yeah, don't get me you wrong. guys have
3: the privilege of... um. Yes,
1: trying the many standby. things and doing well, the things. Yes, standby fair, travel. Well, to be of having,
3: uh, well, of having yeah. uh, someone who works for airlines. Yes. I mean, we've flown pretty much everything. I, I mean, flo- we've flown
0: Southwest. I haven't flown JetBlue yet. Well, yeah, you that's guys have a- kind of like a niche airline here Here
1: it is yeah it only they only fly Boston New York LaGuardia and New York JFK that's it yeah um so they do more out of Salt Lake like they do San Diego LA they do I don't even San Jose I think they do all that stuff out of I mean
0: of the big big airlines
1: yeah like we've local if you were on the east coast JetBlue is massive yeah huge they're gigantic airline but over here they're not Nope. They don't do West very much. They yeah, only I've have one West. i also had
3: access to a lot of these airlines. So yeah,
1: like that's, that I understand. and Butte, you definitely don't. So <laughs> so not Butte. even just,
3: Butte, just in Montana yeah. in general. And yeah, yeah, like yeah. On yeah. the West. Yeah. And even, like,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. You guys do have Alaska in virtually every town, though. Yeah, we do. In Montana, because I've actually Seattle. never
3: flown Alaska, though. I have,
1: I have. and it's, it's a good airline. I've i like heard good
3: things about
2: it.
1: I really like Alaska, actually. Their service is good. They actually
2: let their flight attendants wear shorts in the summer. Yeah.
1: They're, I've heard they're actually a really good airline to work for. That's
2: but, what I've heard too.
1: Yeah, but
2: no, you them. know who, you know who failed at wearing shorts? Go look up British Airways oh, pilot uniforms. God,
1: <laughs> yeah, they're horrid. The
2: culottes.
1: Yeah, they're disgusting.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, American Airlines, I don't wholly remember, but I also never would have willingly flown them
1: otherwise. Wow. I have flown American Airlines plenty of times and never loved it.
0: I've I've flown with them a few times, like a few times before I met. Mm-hmm. I've flown with you guys, and then that time mm-hmm. last summer we flew them. I just don't. I don't know what it is. I, I like just, Delta. I don't like
2: Delta is good,
1: awesome. I'm gonna say that United is getting way better.
0: Oh my gosh, the last United flight we took, ten out of ten,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, those, yeah, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> They're so horrible. Oh, my God. Anyway.
0: Anyway, sorry. All right, moving on. Yeah. Next one. We'll talk about more of the stuff in the post
1: what episode. Sorry.
0: We'll
1: talk about more of the stuff in the post episode. What
0: job does Miranda want in retirement so she can yell at Karen's? I want to be a grumpy a- gate agent.
1: <laughs> I work with some of those that are definitely like retirement or post-retirement age, and they love it.
0: I, I want to be love so it. F- Grumpy,
1: yeah, and just have people yeah. yell
0: at me and go, "I don't give a Yeah, shit. fire me! I dare you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would get you fired. I'm like, I'm already retired. Yeah. I do this for fun.
1: Yep, go I do. Sit hope, your ass. I down. do hope you turn your summer gig into uh slinging bags. Though, I, I think it's, I will. It's fun. It's fun. I'm not gonna lie. It's fun. You'll be super tan by the time you get to band camp.
3: Oh, wow. <laughs> but also, <if> you're <laughs> and really buff. nice to yeah. your gate agent. You can sometimes get good things. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. And your cabin crew. Yes. That too.
1: That
2: yeah. too. Okay. For the listener question, mm-hmm. this comes from David. 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 On an Air Canada flight.
1: <laughs> Continue.
2: <laughs> two passengers were boarding and mm-hmm. saw that their seats had been vomited on. <gasps> oh. Yes. Yeah!
1: Yes, yes, yes. This came up in the news recently.
2: <laughs> Prior to boarding, the cabin crew tried to clean the seats off, however, not entirely successfully. The passengers explained calmly but firmly to the flight attendants the seats needed to be clean and not damp and smelling of puke before they would sit. Mm -hmm. So the flight attendants got extra blankets to put over the damp and vomit-smelling seats, and the passengers agreed to this accommodation and took their seats. Then the captain showed up. You have two choices, he said, and told them to either leave now and pay for another flight out of pocket or wait and be escorted and put on the no-fly list.
1: That was the wrong thing to do.
2: Other passengers explained to no avail that the two in question were never rude, never raised their voices, and who would want to sit and vomit. Nevertheless, the passengers left the plane. Air Canada has since apologized to the two passengers, but I've not read about any amends made. I'm fairly certain one of you might have insight into this situation. I have my opinion regarding the actions taken by Air Canada, but I'll hang on to it. What do you all think?
1: So... To clarify a little bit better about what's going on here, and everybody has their opinion about this because I've had it sent to me a thousand times. Because <laughs> we're not going to get too deep into why, but it was handled poorly. Absolutely. 100%. Let yeah. me put it this way. If I had anything to do with that flight, absolutely, we would have cleaned the crap out of that. There are procedures for that. They actually have to delay boarding until that is biohazardly spotless.
0: Because it's bodily fluid. It's a fluid. biohazard. It yeah. is a
1: bodily fluid. And so that tells me that the third party that they have doing their grooming, because it is, it's a third party company, didn't do their job. Because That's thing number one. And that doesn't have to do with Air Canada. That has to do with a third party. What does have to do with Air Canada is how the crew on board the aircraft handled it. And that was bad. And let me tell you right now, those people are in a lot of trouble. They're in a lot of trouble.
2: Good. Specifically about it being a biohazard, had the person who had thrown up had covid for one Mm -hmm. obviously contagious but more importantly what if they had hiv right or hepatitis any disease or anything that can be communicable
1: via body fluids that is that
0: is a massive problem of course
1: it is of course it is
0: and i don't know if if i was a passenger that saw that and Mm -hmm. i was like listen i know you're busy i know you're trying to get the airplane off Mm -hmm. the ground. But this is unacceptable.
1: Now, some people are I'm a aren't, paying customer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And, of course, like, we get targeted by things like that. But it, I know a lot of people, if you don't follow the aviation industry that closely, you don't notice it. But these kinds of stories pop up sensationalized every year by somebody. There's, the, I swear, there's always something. There's I the- heard of.
0: Thing on,
2: uh, oh my American. god!
1: The guy who <laughs> diarrheaed up and down the aisle.
3: Yeah. What? You didn't it was
1: a Delta flight. It had oh.
3: to divert.
1: They had to go back.
3: Wait, this happened in the air? Yeah. yeah. They oh. had to
1: go back like an extra two hours and take oh. everybody Live off. Two clean hours it. like that? Mm-hmm.
3: I would. I would have died. I would yeah. have puked, and then it would have been. A <laughs> well, I'm, like, the
1: I'm sure some people did. Yeah, sure. I'm sure. I, you know, it's things like that. But I hear about these kinds of things all the time. There's You don't hear about some of these things necessarily if you're not in the industry, but these kinds of things happen a lot more often than it gets reported. Yeah. And somebody always gets in trouble for it. That's just the truth. I mean, it's not that the airlines don't do anything about it. Usually the airline themselves, they're going to try to do what they can to, to of course, PR, I clean that up on the back end.
0: I don't understand how that could even happen.
1: I'm sure that those people were contacted. We have a really, really diligent social media and what do you call it customer relations team when things like this happen anything that of course makes news but anything that's truly just horrendous happens to somebody they actually are really diligent and they will contact them directly and offer them basically the world so i i i promise you even though it's probably not reported in the news anywhere those passengers got got compensated somehow it was i guarantee they got compensated nicely somehow have you heard
2: about any specific amends they
1: won't tell us they okay. tell anybody I'm in sure the industry. I'm sure it happens
0: behind closed doors.
2: <clears throat>
1: Pretty much. it it They settle that usually with the customer, whatever's going to try to make them happy. And the reason that that's usually not public, not even to us in the industry, like people in the industry will never find out unless you're really close to the incident, because they also don't want that to be rumored out. And then they don't want other people to expect a standard of treatment and trying to loophole their way into things that they're not. Makes sense. You know, you. We try to avoid things like that, of course, but we also try to avoid the situations like this happening at all. So trust me, there's a lot of people very in trouble right now. And the unfortunate thing about that, too, is that somebody probably lost a job somewhere along the line. And I don't wish that on anybody, but somebody also didn't do the right thing. A lot of people actually didn't do the right thing in this instance, and that is unfortunate. That's just the honest truth.
2: I think the person I would be most upset with would be the captain. That was Agreed. Untune. Absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely. At Agreed. least the
0: flight attendants tried. Yeah, believe me. They tried to. They tried to to find a solution. They tried to work with what they had. And the captain was a complete dick. I'm sorry. Agreed. That's now, absolutely not okay to be like you'll be put on the no fly list. Right. F- off. No. They were even being polite about it.
1: Right now, there's they're two,
0: probably Canadian.
1: There's two sides to every story, so I can't confirm or deny anything that was actually said. I know what was reported, but I can't confirm or deny anything that was actually said. So to me, I have to take the neutral ground. Being in the industry, and I have to say, I don't know. I don't know. I agree that it was mishandled.
2: 100%.
1: But that's all I can say about it. I don't know what was said, he said, she said. I don't know. But that's it. That's it. That's all I have on that one.
2: So thank you, David, for your question.
1: Yes. No, you're, it's a very valid question. A very those pointed are, question. Those things are important. Like I said, if it was an airplane in my station and that somebody, and if I heard about it at all, I would stop the whole thing, tell them you're not putting anybody on that airplane until you spotless clean that. And I have a really good grooming team here, so they would. They're really good at it. We, we, this happens every now and again where somebody, you know, and they have actually biohazard kits that they have to go on the airplane. They have to spend a specific amount of time cleaning and disinfecting and it has to sit so there's a, there's a whole big procedure for it they have to make sure that it's basically spotless before they ever actually board the airplane so it's there's a whole procedure for it and somebody didn't do it right that's pretty much how that went
0: all right well that's our episode today friendo thanks heather for being here
1: thanks
2: yeah of course you provided some very good insight
3: uh-huh.
0: Did I? And to CPAP machines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> you should do all the things like checking out the Patreon and uh, like answering the questions.
2: Oh, have we publicly announced our giveaway winner? No, I don't think so. No, we, Congra- we- congratulations to Jen for winning our episode 200 giveaway.
0: Yeah. Yep, which is weird because Jen used to edit our podcast.
1: Yep. Once upon a time, we haven't seen Jen in a long time. A really Jen in a very long time. She's
0: also been on, but episodes.
1: has been a patron. Yeah. But has also been a patron for a very long time.
0: Is she a patron? Yes,
1: I think so. I have was, no idea. was anyways. Maybe not anymore, but was for a long time.
2: Jen holds a special place in our hearts, and I swear we put it through a randomizer, and her name came. It out.
1: really was randomized. It was just based. Yeah, on we that. didn't do that on purpose. No, we'll do another one. There will be. Probably several more. Yes. Now that we have...
2: It worked really well. I think we reached a lot more people that way, and a lot lot of people were really excited about it. Yes.
1: We'll certainly do them again several more times um, as things... Mile marker, you know, like these these markers that we get, these... uh, uh, Although it's
2: not that far away, there's a four-year anniversary coming up. There is
1: a four-year anniversary coming up, so we may do that. Oh, that's weird. Uh Uh-huh. That's literally... Yeah. By the time this episode is- comes out, that's only like a couple weeks later.
2: Our first episode came out on October 22nd, 2019.
0: Hmm. It's weird. <laughs> our four-year anniversary episode will come out on the 24th.
2: Oh, speaking of Jen, she said we need to check the mail. Or-
1: okay. I
0: did. No. Our, our mail. Oh, oh. Okay.
1: I mean, I think I did that earlier this week, but I'll have to look again.
0: Anyway, thank you so much. Congratulations to Jen. Remember, you can always send us, like, stories. We will do a story episode. Questions. So sorry. We'll do a story episode. We have like 50 stories now because we haven't been looking at it or doing any of them. And now we had one already to go and we haven't done that one yet. Now we have like 20 other stories apart from that. Mm-hmm. So we do enjoy your stories. We will do them. These next couple of months are really rough, really rough. So like November, yeah, <laughs> we'll do everything in November. Yeah.
1: November will hopefully be a little bit better.
0: And then make sure you buy some merch which by the way there's been some issues with merch like being out of stock and
2: and stuff. it doesn't
1: say anything and ever like no. we have to go look up the product and then it says out, fixed, of, out of permanently out of stock or something
0: did you ask them what colors they want i just did the closest to black oh, okay. because but, yeah, yeah
1: because there's there's no it doesn't tell us, like, when these things happen. It just yeah. says, like, waiting on processing for forever. Yeah. And we have to go look up the product, and then it says, oh, no longer available.
0: Yeah. Well, I- anyway. Anyway, sorry about that. If that happened to you, it, all your stuff should be getting sent now, by the way. So. yeah. Yep. Thank
1: you for your patience. No
0: one's order is on hold. No, no. Not anymore. No, not anymore. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week.
2: Keep your speed up.